Let's get rolling here today. Thank you for being here with us. If you're new to Mission Church, my name is Eric Baker, and uh, I have the privilege and joy of being one of the elders here at Mission, and so we are thankful uh, that you have come to be with us here uh, today. You know, who does not like a good redemptive story? Um, I don't know what your family has been like over the last seven, eight days or so, um, but my wife and I, we are unapologetically obsessed with the Olympics. Uh, we have a long history now of being together for 16 years, and, and honestly, like, I, I, I love the Olympics, and uh, uh, there's just this sense of kind of a national pride and, and patriotism and, and literally Laura and I have been sitting there watching different moments of the Olympics and, and have found myself jumping out of the bed, like raising my, because this allows everyone to know and there's only one other person in the room how patriotic you are when you do this and you yell, USA, yes, right? I mean, we had these great stories of redemption. We are an underdog people. I mean, even if, you're too, if your favorite team is not playing in the Super Bowl, a lot of us will find ourselves doing what? Rooting for the underdog. That we, we love these stories of redemption. I'm a child of the 80s, and so I love every movie starring Sylvester Stallone. And they're all the same movie. Just different titles with the same guy. And if you've not learned this about Rocky, one through four is amazing. That five mess is ridiculous, okay? But let me clue you something in on something about Rocky. It's one of the things that we love about Rocky is, did you know that Rocky is a terrible boxer? He's terrible. What makes Rocky absolutely amazing inside of that redemptive story is that it's not that, that Rocky can throw. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. The whole thing is about Rocky is that Rocky is able to take a punch. That's the whole story, rounds one, two, three, four, and we'll forget that fifth one, okay? But it's this ability, and so we're, we're rooting. We find ourselves rooting for these people or rooting for these stories or, or love to hear sappy stories about people who were, you know, had all this gift and talents and all these sorts of things, and maybe they were in a car wreck or something happened to them, and then you get to see their steps. I mean, how many of you guys have seen the recent commercial and it shows the girl and she's an amputee? right? And she's on the bars and she's trying to walk and she stumbles and falls and then they put those, those AR, uh, those like virtual reality glasses on her face and it shows the beach under her. Is he, am I the only one that watches TV? Okay, sorry, thought I was, I forgot I was talking to Christians. The rest of us watch TV um, and you see her and she's stumbling and falling and then they put these glasses on and she can see two real feet and she's walking on the beach and she starts to walk. I mean, I just sense that sort of just, I mean, even right now, it's like, man, that, that is just awesome, this idea of redemption. Well, today, we're whole focus from the reading of God's word earlier to the songs that we have sung. I've always been pointing toward one thing. And if this is the sermon in the sentence, and some of you, this is when you go to sleep, so I'm going to give you the sermon early so you can go ahead and do that, is this, is that Jesus is our Redeemer, and because He is our Redeemer, He has bought complete redemption for those of us who are in Him. That's the whole idea, okay? So today I'm going to be like an Old West Spaghetti Western slinging tons of Scripture at you. We're going to let the Bible preach the Bible today. And so over and over, if you don't get these, all these verses here today, it's, that's fine. I'll, if you want to email me, I will email them to you. Because I, I want you to see that this is the collection from Genesis to Revelation. That this is a story. This Bible is, is not a textbook for you to impress your friends with how much knowledge that you have. But it is a, an opportunity for us to read about the redemptive a redeemer, our God Almighty, through Jesus, and to fall more in love with him. As it says in my Bible, as I've written in there, I, God is not impressed with me that I read this. But may we be more impressed with him. Why? Because he is the redeemer, and he has bought complete redemption for his bride. 
We're looking through the, working through this year, through the the gospel that is according to what we see in the book of Ephesus. And as I mentioned several weeks ago, the first three chapters are all about your identity. They're all about who you are in Jesus. And though we are bent and prone to go directly to the A plus B equals C, how do we work all of this sort of stuff out? God, in his writing, is more concerned about who you are first in order that you don't get what what you get to do wrong. Okay, And so all of this boils out of this, uh, this personhood of, of who Jesus declares that we are, even before the foundations of the earth, the book of Ephesians, as it was just read by Chris to us, reminds us of these things. That this morning, if you have come here broken and bruised, hurting, heavy-hearted, whatever, however you came in this place today, that if you truly are in Jesus, that you be reminded this morning that you are the chosen ones, that you are the predestined ones, that you are the adopted sons and daughters of God. And as we're going to see today in verse 7 through 10, that you and I, for those of us that are in Jesus, are not just those things, but we are also, also the redeemed ones. Let's look at the passage here as we see in verse 7. It says, in him, which again, if you're writing in your Bible, you should circle that. It's what the main theme of all the book of Ephesus is, is is this, this idea that we are in him. And it says this in verse 7, in him we have what? What's it say? Redemption. That we have redemption through his blood. So let's, let's first break down this idea of what is redemption. Now within the New Testament and in the Old Testament, you got Hebrew is the Old Testament and what it was originally written in. Inside the New Testament is, is Greek. And so with that, we have multiple words. So I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of words that I can barely pronounce. I mean, I'm barely doing English up here, let alone laying on you Greek and Hebrew. But I'm going to combine all of these definitions together. When we think about redemption from a biblical perspective, what is it that we see? The term is, is often used surrounding the, the mentality of slavery. It means to loosen what is bound. It means to ransom. It's a legal term to refer to the cancelization of debt or being pardoned from wrongdoing. It means to release someone or something. It means to, to buy back, to deliver one from a situation from which one, get this, is powerless to liberate themselves from or or which the penalty was so costly that they could never, ever hope to pay the ransom price. In other words, the idea of redemption is deliverance or release by the payment of a ransom that you and I cannot pay. So if Paul, inside of this 202 run-on sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 is, is a praise and worship song. Paul is consumed and he's just spouting all of this praise be to God and his glorious grace. He is the one God has chosen before the foundations of the earth that he is going to do something. What is he going to do? That he's going to choose us, that he's going to predestine us, that he's going to adopt us, that he is going to to redeem his people. God has set forth this great plan before the stars were ever hung in the sky, before the planet ever twisted on its perfect axis. God declared that he was going to do something. And yet we've seen this Trinitarian, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the first few verses that we covered up to verse 7, we've seen God Almighty orchestrating something from behind the scenes. And now we're going to see Jesus step into the scene that God, through Jesus, is going to accomplish his chosen work. That's how he's going to change you and I's identity. But why do we need to be redeemed? Why are we in bondage? Why does Jesus need to buy us back? Why does he need to loosen our bound, bent nature Why does he need to redeem us, to deliver us? Why does he need to pay anything? Why does he need to be a ransom? First and foremost, as we see inside of the scripture, that not only is God a creator, but also that that man has a great problem. And that problem is sin. And here in a few weeks, we're going to dive into the whole kind of doctrine of sin because Jesus, God's glory, I don't mean, I think it was Spurgeon who first said this, but God's glory shines brightest against the darkest of backgrounds. 
And so Paul is going to show us, the Holy Spirit is going to show us here in a few weeks when we get to the second chapter, just how dark we were and yet see what Jesus does in his redemptive history in our lives. So we need to understand first that we are slaves to something. Well, what are we slaves to? We are slaves to sin. Anybody perfect in here? All right? Anybody? No. All right? None of us are. When, so we have missed the mark, not just in what we have done. A lot of times we think about sin, right? We think about all the bad things that we've done. We think about the bad words that we've, we've smoked or the things we've smoked, the things we've, uh, wow, um, the things we've smoked. We think about the words that we've said. We think about the girls that we've dated who dip. I mean, all these sorts of weird things in the South. See, now you're waking up. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa. Okay. We, we think about all these bad things that you and I have done on a weekly basis. But being a slave to sin is not only the sin of commission. That means to do something bad. But it's also the, the sins of omission. Like if you were perfect in every way morally. But you didn't share your faith. Jesus dies for that. And a lot of times we don't even think about those sorts of things. That Jesus not only dies for our sins of commission, us participating in dirty, rotten things, but Jesus also died for the things that he has demanded that we do, that he's called us to participate in, and you and I fail to do those things. Jesus also dies for that. Whether you do it with your mind, your hands, your feet, your body, any portion of who or what makes up you, that Jesus, that we are a slave to those things and that Jesus is going to redeem us from those things. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you in this, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 7, 14, I am a flesh sold, what? Under sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, he says, and deliver all those who thought fear of death were subject, get this, to lifelong slavery. You and I, because of our first father, Adam and his sin, has his legacy that has been cast to every one of us, all flesh, all humanity, is that we are slaves to sin. You can't help but do it. Telling a lie doesn't make you a sinner. Being a sinner by your very nature makes you, causes you to lie. And so when Jesus comes and, and Paul is praising Jesus, he says, in him we have what? Redemption. What do we have? Redemption. We've got redemption in him. Who's him? And that is Jesus. So Jesus is going to come to release you and I from the slavery, from the bondage of sin. If you've ever been addicted to something, even if it was in your past, you still know what those cravings are. You still know that you can be bent toward this. And yet, God has delivered us. He has redeemed us in a specific person. His name is Jesus. He's going to build our identity here today. He's building our identity. We are the redeemed ones. The second thing that we need to be redeemed from, though, is this, that we are rightly under the judgment of God. That, that Jesus is not only going to redeem us out of the bondage of slavery, sin, Satan, and death, but that Jesus also is going to remove the rightful wrath of God that should be poured on you and I. That he's going to redeem us from that. In Romans chapter 6, 23, if you grew up Baptist, you know something called the Romans Road. What? For the wages of sin is death. That if you and I sin, if people sin, if our nature is to sin, then the payment for that means this, that something, someone must die. That's the only thing that is going to appease God's character. Because, see, here's the thing. If, if God doesn't punish sin, then God isn't just. And therefore, God isn't God any longer. He can't simply just glass over it. Brothers and sisters, may you be reminded today, when you think as that though God doesn't seemingly, though he does discipline those whom he loves, that he just doesn't drop us all like flies. Don't think that that sin that is worthy of immediate death didn't get punished. 
You're just not the recipient of the punishment. Jesus reminds us in the gospel, the gospel of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I came to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus works reflect inside of the New Testament, what we see inside the Old Testament, right? If you've seen the Prince of Egypt or if you've seen a, a great, you know, Charleston Heston, Ten Commandments, even if you've not read the Bible, I mean, you get the story of these Israelites who are just in complete bondage to the Egyptians. And yet, what does God do? He delivers them out of that bondage and sets them in a new trajectory toward the promised land where they can be in right relationship with him. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, God tells Moses, Hey, you go tell Pharaoh this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you. See, we give a lot of credit to Moses, right? But Moses didn't lead those people God led those people. He, he allowed, yes, Moses to, to be involved. He was his earthly representative, no doubt about it. But I want you to understand that that Moses, inside of that scripture, when he's telling them this, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery of them, and I will redeem you. That the focus of that is not on Moses. The focus is on an almighty God. And that even the story of Moses and him working and God working inside of Moses and the leadership there was, was really a foretaste of what was to come. It was pointing to a, a greater Moses. It was pointing to a greater Exodus. It was pointing to Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, here's the deal. You can be released from a physical prison on this earth and your heart still be vacant of God's spirit and you go to hell. God is after something much deeper. He's after the root. He's after the truth behind the truth. He, 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 he yes, sometimes frees people from a physical slavery on this earth, but you need to know that Jesus came to do something greater, and that was to release you and I from the physical and spiritual bonds of sin, Satan, and death, and the righteous judgment that you and I are due. Jesus comes in Galatians. He tells us, Paul tells us about Jesus in Galatians 1, verses 3 through 4. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who does what? Who, who gave himself. What do we see Jesus constantly in the position here? Of giving. What does he give? Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, this is the picture that we see of Jesus, that there is a, a great, not that we should not be about slavery inside the world. The, the closest guesstimation that I've came across even this morning when I was doing some reading from the International Justice Mission, if you've not looked at their stuff, I encourage you to check it out. That, that currently right now, as we speak, that there are 45 million people enslaved on our planet right now. Should the church be concerned about that? Yes. Yes, we should. We sh that is a gospel issue. God is the deliverer. He is the redeemer of those things. And so, yes, should the church be about those things? Yes, we should be about ending modern-day slavery. And yet, the hopes of releasing those physical chains of people that are in slavery is to do what? Is to ultimately share the gospel with them in hopes that God would forever change their lives and remove the, the nature of sin itself from their hearts. That is the greater need. That is the deeper need that you and I have, but that we often forget. So how does he do this? How does he redeem us? Well, the Bible tells us here, in him we have redemption through his blood. That we have redemption through his blood, and blood here inside the scripture is always pointing toward an actual physical death. We're told here that he he did it through his death, that he did it through his blood. Brothers and sisters, do we understand that Jesus died the death that you and I deserve? A ransom must be paid. 
And even if you could, which you can't, if you're willing to die in your stead to pay that ransom, it would not be worthy enough. And so yet Jesus steps into the scene and he says, what? I I will be their substitute. And again, when is this planned? Before the foundations of the earth that this is going to happen. This is my plan. These are my people. These are my sheep. Before they've done anything good or bad morally, I'm going to choose them. I'm going to predestine them. I'm going to adopt them as sons and daughters, and I'm going to redeem them before they even know that they need to be redeemed. This is the work of God. As as he dies the death that you and I deserve, again, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, God redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree. I mean, don't we all, again, like those kinds of stories? Were you not rattled this week? The news reports of what was happening in Florida. As a young man is standing there and he's about to go out of his school and someone he knows looks at him and says, hey, you probably want to get out of here. And that young man just starts running. And he runs past his football coach, or a football coach at the school. And that football coach doesn't doesn't run the opposite direction. But that football coach, what does he do? He runs into the school. And the last that we know about this football coach in Florida this week is what 17 kids give their lives is, is one of the images of a man stepping into the place, taking and shielding bullets from an AR-15 and, and protecting kids. I mean, it, it's not just something for the movies. It is something that we, we appreciate and honor even in real life, but in a, in a, you know, in a cosmic more significant way, this is what we see happen inside of Jesus. I mean, if somebody was about to come and take your kids, would you not step in, parent, and say, no, take, take me. Let, let them go. But, but take me, punish me. If you need to kill someone, kill me. If you need to imprison someone, kill or imprison me. And Jesus does this in an infinite, loving, lavish, graceful way as he steps in. He says, no, 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 they've done wrong. Let's be clear. They're bad people. They, they've done terrible things. They're deserving of the punishment. But take me. Take me instead. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, you were ransomed from the futile thing, ways inherited from the, your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but the, with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus doesn't show up to send Satan and death or, or even um, to, to God Almighty who's bringing the right judgment and throw gold and silver and money at him. But he pays it with his own blood. He, he dies. And this is, the, again, the only thing that will appease an almighty, just God. And this blood is not given. There's a lot of bad theology out there that that paints this picture that upon the cross that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan himself. That Satan in one way has kept you captive and that Jesus has paid Satan off. And I want you to know that is not the Bible. That is terrible theology. We must be reminded this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, that God saved us from God through Jesus. Your punishment was not coming from Satan. Hell is for Satan himself. God saves us from God. Saves us from the justice and the right wrath of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14, I wish this morning I could just read all the book of Hebrews. It says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that this, not of this creation, 
He entered once into the Holy of Holies, not by means of bloods of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus, get this, securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. And I'm so thankful that you guys did not come with your petting zoo this morning for Pastor Justin to kill up here. So thankful that we're, we don't have to do that. Because again, what did the Old Testament show us over and over and over again? The blood of these animals was not lasting. But what do we see about the redemptive power of Jesus' blood? Started in eternity's past. And it is still flowing today. And it is a fountain that will flow into eternity and beyond eternity to be with God, courtesy of Jesus, to be covered in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, as he died upon the cross. Your cross. My cross. Jesus dies. If you were here, Pastor, uh, here last week, Pastor Justin preached the, the topic or the, the, the line section, and, and, and it told us that he, we are predestined us for adoption. Predestined us for adoption. And we see this beautiful picture as, as Pastor Justin painted through the word last week of this, this idea of that God is, has sought us, that he has, again, that he has redeemed us, that he has chosen us, that he has taken his enemies and he's done what? He has made them their sons and daughters. Let's understand this. Is that adoption, if you've ever done it, is really expensive. Families can spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands of dollars. They can spend years upon years upon years upon years trying to get this one child whom they have chosen. And we must understand that this passage is, again, it's telling us what in verse, in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us and the beloved in him we have redemption. And so how does God choose? God chooses before the foundation of the earth to say, you, Trevor, you are mine, Mike, you are mine, you are my chosen one, you are my adopted sons and daughter, you are the redeemed one, I'm going to buy your even adoption. And how does he do it? Through Jesus. God chose to adopt. Jesus is the adoption agency. Adoption costs a lot. It costs Jesus his life. His very life. You get this. Maybe we'd be humble this morning. You were bought with a price. You're not on sale at Big Lots. You're not a trinket found at a Hope House community store. You're not some goodwill find. But it costs something. You be reminded of that. If you were here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, that you were... The pearl of great price. Jesus himself was, was broken and laid before the one drop of Jesus' blood was infinitely perfect. What does Jesus do? He bleeds out because to, to appease God's rightful wrath and justice, what? The wage of sin is death. It, it wasn't good enough to appease God with just one drop of Jesus' innocent, perfect, infinite, holy blood. No, he came to die. You were bought with a price. You were not cheap. And he freely gives. Gives himself away. So what is the result of our redemption? Well, let's keep reading. 
In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The result of being redeemed by Jesus is the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. What is forgiveness? It's to release, to pardon, cancellation, to be sent away. Forgiveness is giving up your right to get even. See, you and I, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are not a slave that could save ourselves. We're not a criminal that can, can come up with enough money or to do enough community service for us to appease our punishment. No. That is not how this works. See, your obedience does not cause God to forgive you. How can you impress an almighty God, you jar of clay? You can't. But God's forgiveness begets, creates, causes what? Obedience. The price you could not gather enough funds, you could not do enough good works in order for God to sign, okay, you've, you finally tallied enough goodness I'm granting you forgiveness, but no, what, what do we see? Did, did, did you understand that, yes, there is this awakening that, that comes to us? We're going to talk about that here in a few months, probably like the fall, um, when we finally get to like chapter 3. But we're going to talk about this idea of the awakening of God. That God, get this, I mean, this, this, we're going deep into the pool here, that God is in the forgiving business of your life and has set his forgiveness that will eventually come to fruition in eternity's past. God's going to know, choose, plan, Chris Dindy, forgiven son, before Chris Dindy has done anything. And is that going to come to fruition? Yes. I mean, it, it has a, 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 a then and it has a now truth to that. I, I get and live in that tension. But we need to understand the, the beauty and the magnitude of what Jesus has done in, in dying for us. We see inside of the biblical law, right, there's this day of atonement, Yom Kippur, if you know anything about the Old Testament or Jewish history. It's when the, the, probably the grandiose day in all of Judaism. It's, it's the day in which the, the covering both of individual sin and corporate sins of God's people. And we see this take place in Leviticus as they take a, a goat without blemish and the, the, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies and they, they sacrifice the goat and it, it covers over what's called the the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that is, Indiana Jones, number one. Check it out. Your face will melt if you see it, all right? So check that out if you don't like reading the Bible. Indiana Jones, number one. All right, game on. So from there, we see this amazing picture take place of, of the mercy seat being covered in blood. But I said that there's not just one goat, that there's two goats. The priest would take one of the goats and he would lay his hand on the head of the goat. And it was to symbol a, a, a transfer, an imputation of, of God's people's sin onto that goat. And then that goat is led where? Out into the wilderness. And what's the purpose of being led out in that wilderness? One, it's led so far that it can never return. It will never find its way home. Goats need, travel in a pack. They, they need a shepherd. They need someone to care. They need each other to care for them. And yet there's this lone goat that is left to the wilderness, that is left to the predators, that is, is left never to find its way home. And it is a picture ultimately that is pointing toward the person and work of Jesus that by his blood, that the mercy seat of God is completely and forever and infinitely covered in the blood of the perfect lamb. And yet when they crucify Jesus, where do they take him? Outside of the city. 
And because of that, we need to understand the beauty today of his redemption that results in forgiveness. That, that brothers and sisters, for, for those of us that are in Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus has taken our sins infinitely away from us. That they are forever gone. They're infinitely removed from the throne room of God in such a way that we can actually be in relationship with God Almighty. Listen to these passages in Micah chapter 7, verse 19. You will cast out sins or our sins to the depths of the sea. Do you know where all of your sin is this morning? Though it's maybe playing a, a, you know, a movie inside of your brain to God, your sin is cast into a sea that has an infinite bottom in it. That's forgiveness. We see in Psalm chapter 103, it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Brothers and sisters, the sins you're going to commit tomorrow, guess where they are? As far as the east is from the west, think of the worst thing that you have possibly maybe ever done in your life. And though you still remember it, you need to understand that, that God is, has chucked it. You, if you've ever been to youth camp where they, 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 you know, put your sins, put it in a bottle, throw it in the lake, all you've done is created pollution. But that is not how God works. God has, has slung those infinitely away from him and infinitely away from you. Past, present, and future he has done this. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am the one who blots out your transgressions for whose sake? Get this. For my sake. Get this. I will not remember your sins. Thank you, because we should be shouting right there. That, thank you, Cash. God is so sovereign and so in control of redemptive history and forgiveness that he can cause himself to blot out your sins. I mean, think about that, ladies. You've got every sin of your husband in a filing cabinet somewhere. And you pull that out of every argument. I love you, but it, it's true. I mean, like, I'm, a, I'm astonished that you have that ability. Like, I can't remember if I ate breakfast this morning. And you're like, 1982, I was wearing this dress, standing on my grandpa. I mean, you, you have a history. And imagine, though, that he's blotted out every one. It's forever removed. I mean, is, is anyone moved by that this morning? That in Jeremiah chapter 31, 34, he says, I will forgive their iniquity again, and I will remember their sin no more. Infinitely forgiven. You are, it is infinitely taken away. I love this story. I use it often, but I can't talk about redemption without going back to the Old Testament where we see this uh, crazy story between a man of God named Hosea, right? And Hosea is a prophet of God. He's a man of God. And God tells this man to go marry a prostitute, okay? Younger kids, if you're in here, you don't know what that is, go ask your daddy later, okay? But she's a prostitute, I don't know about you, but those aren't the kind of girls I would swipe on Tinder. And yet God says for him to go do what? To go marry this prostitute. They get, they get married, and yet what do we find out that Gomer continues to do? Sell herself into prostitution. Like you're married. Hey, how was work today? Oh, it was a great day. What'd you do? Yeah, I didn't want to know that. I mean, this is a horrific scene. I just want you to know, like, I'm out. Like, till death do us part, or you do that, right? I mean, I'm out of this game. 
I don't, I don't play like that. And yet God had told Hosea, so if you're a young gentleman here, please do not come and tell me that God has told you, like he did Hosea, to go marry a prostitute. No. All right? Uh-uh. You're not him. Your story is not canon. Okay? And what does she continue to do? She continues to sell herself. Willingly. Homegirl got a, got a house and, and kids back at the house, a husband who loves her. And she is freely giving herself to prostitution. And yet, what does Hosea do? He goes to the marketplace. And, and who's on the slave block? His own wife. And what's he do? He buys her. You and I are not Hosea. You and I are Gomer. We desire, we long to. Our slavery has not been forced upon us, brothers and sisters. It is by choice. And we see this picture of Hosea and Gomer that's pointing to a bigger picture, and that is Hosea is representing God, and and Gomer is representing God's people who are constantly prostituting themselves to other gods other than him. And yet this is what he does with forgiveness, with redemption, forgiveness. He is all powered by what? This word grace, unmerited favor. Gomer does not deserve to be taken home that day. You and I do not deserve to be taken to the almighty throne room of God. And yet, what does Jesus do? He buys her. He buys us off of the slave block. And he doesn't put his arm around her and lecture her and preach to her all the way home. He doesn't walk behind. She doesn't walk behind. He doesn't take those chains and drag his woman by her hair back to the house. No, the image that we get of God is the image of the prodigal son when the prodigal son comes home. When you are bought off of the slavery box that you want to be on is that Jesus takes you into his arm. He puts a new robe around you. He cleans the smudges off of your face. He, he, he literally cleanses you in his blood. He, he takes a ring. He puts his signet, to, his seal upon your life and forever changes it. In such a way that when you look back, you say, I was completely ridiculous. We may be even kicking and screaming, and yet God is saying, they'll get it. They'll learn it. They will see that my kindness and my love. See, brothers and sisters, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So so when you're in the back alley of sin, giving yourself, again, I'm not talking about abuse, I'm talking about you are freely giving yourself over to the slavery of sin. Jesus stops at no cost. To, to be a, a physical, spiritual battering ram, to knock down that door and to come get you. That's the image of Jesus. I mean, haven't you ever seen, if you've paid any attention to the actual in, in sla- modern-day slavery movement and these things like International Justice Mission, where they literally go to these places and, and there's all this criminal, disgusting stuff happening, and they show up with battering rams, and they knock down those doors, and they rescue those young girls and those little boys and those la- ladies who have been put into to, to that type of slavery and give them brand new lives. This is a again is a picture of what Jesus does for us. He kicks down the door to rescue us from the sin that we desire to even have. To show us that it is a true and better way to live. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sin. This 
redemption that we see inside of the Bible here. Let's, let's finish out here. It says in verse 8, which he lavished upon him in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So you are chosen, you are predestined, you are adopted, you are redeemed. That redemption has produced, it has resulted in the forgiveness of your sins that have completely and eternally forever moved away from you. Also in God's grace, he now awakens you for the first time to a new wisdom, a new understanding of the, the gospel, but also in, in the way in which life is to be lived. But we see this beautiful picture. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this this morning, that if you are a son and daughter of God, that God is going to restore all of our brokenness. That we see the the culmination of all things. That Jesus, for those of us that are in him, that we're going to be brought. When Jesus returns, Paul is already speaking about the return of Jesus and the glorification of our bodies. When at one day, the groaning of even our physical earth will stop mourning as the sons and daughters are, are called up into the very presence and nature of God. And if you are hurting this morning, if you are wounded this morning, if you are struggling in your faith, may we be reminded this morning of the truth of God's word and what he was doing, that he is going to make all things new. May he do it today. May Jesus come today. May he fix our broken marriages. May he fix our broken relationships. May he fix our, our broken friendships. That, that even the very earth in which we stand is, is broken. And yet, one day, with the nations, we're all going to be living in harmony. Those of us that are in Christ, every tribe, every nation, up and under the person and work of Jesus. Man. Jesus not only sets us free, aren't you glad that Jesus just doesn't open the cell door and says, go for it? What does Jesus do? Jesus not only sets us free, but he stays with us until we are healed. This means that Jesus is going to be with us forever. Redemption is permanent. Jesus keeps his sheep. Think about this for a minute. Answer these questions. If Jesus has, has bought you with his own blood, then what can re- remove you from it? Does Jesus' blood run out? Does his blood stop covering you? Do we need to crucify Jesus again? No. Once and for all. Once and for all. Jesus stretched out his arms. He died. And he declared that it was what? That it is finished. We have no need for any more offerings for our sin. Because the ultimate offering has been given. So what is our response? What is our response? The Bible tells us, for sake of time, I will only read one of these passages. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, it says this, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, brothers and sisters, it would look ridiculous if we really understood what Jesus has done for us to live any other way than to seeking to be obedient to his every call upon our lives. If we truly understand the depths of our rescuing, if we truly understand the extent by which God went through Jesus 
to assure and confirm and to never let you out of his hand through his blood. You are, you are covered. And so what is our response? It's to do what Paul has done and what we've been talking about every week, and that is to worship an almighty God. That is the book of Romans would say that we offer our bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and pure before God, that we are the chosen people of God. Get this this morning. Some of you have been left by everyone. And yet God says that you are Jesus' possession. And let's all face it, Jesus takes much better care of his stuff than you and I do. We sell all of our stuff eventually in a yard sale or give it to Hope House because they love our junk. But that's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus takes really good care of his possessions. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're the redeemed ones. You're the chosen ones. You're the forgiven ones of God. Forever. Think a moment. How free is forever forgiven? How many of you have ever been bondage because you, you struggle to forgive somebody? And I'm talking about people who really hurt you. The only one that's in bondage is you. They're probably not thinking about you today. Just want you to know that. How arrogant of us to think that they are thinking about us. And yet Jesus is illustrating as he's shown us, forgiven, infinitely, past, present, and future. And that's guaranteed by the ever fountain that is flowing from the very personhood of Jesus that we are covered in his blood. So may we go live as free men. May we go live as free women. Women. May we go live. May your home be filled in a place of freedom in Jesus. As we recount daily and preach daily to each other and to ourselves that He has done it. Our Redeemer lives. Let's pray.